0: Index investing or passive investing has grown more popular with investors. Even Warren Buffett has the benefits of owning an entire index like the S&P 500 over the long term. An example of an index tracking ETF is BMO's S&P 500 Index ETF. It's the largest ETF in Canada that tracks this well-recognized and popular index. It provides exposure to the returns of the market cap weighted S&P 500 Index at a low cost, the management fee of just 0.08%. This broad market ETF makes for an efficient building block in a portfolio, saving you time and effort while mitigating single stock risk. If you're looking for exposure to the largest and most liquid public companies in the United States, this ETF delivers an easy to use solution and instant diversification. Commissions and management fees and expenses all may be associated with investments in exchange traded funds, Please read the ETF facts or prospectus of the BMO ETFs before investing. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back
1: or have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin.
0: Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 110. Not joined by the three amigos today, we are missing a key cog, Rich Diaz. Uh, He is on hiatus. He'll be back next week. But we do have a very, very special guest this week. Uh, We have uh, Dr. Sylvain Charbois, the food professor, or as Keith likes to call him, the food processor. Um, But uh, he'll he'll be joining us shortly. But Keith uh, Boomer, what's going on, buddy?
1: I know I am missing Rich. He's not here. It feels different
0: i'm I'm kind of sad
1: yeah yeah and happy in a good way too right because then we don't have to talk about you know the diffusion index and, and stuff because you know okay <laughs> it's already <laughs> awkward that, yeah there you go uh so here's my opening story so my uh mrs ice cap and i we we enjoy wine and i always open the bottles and i'm very good at it but remember i, I focus on cutting the foil Exactly where it should be around the edge, so then when you open it the next time, if it's, if it's corked or anything, you no, know, it's pretty simple to pour and everything. No, not Mrs. Ice Cap. Like she, there's like a like a an old rig. She just blast right down through the foil and yanks it out. So then when I go to pour myself more wine later, I don't. I forget that, of course. Now I almost ripped my finger off. You you can see here tonight, nice. just uh trying to get it last wine. So I'm injured, Steve. Are you I have an injury already. Mid, Maybe mid mid-pod- podcast, I love it. Maybe no. <laughs> um.
0: So what- yeah. Well, I mean, a uh, couple couple of things here before we get into the interview with the uh, the food professor, as you like to call him. Uh, we're going to dive into you know the, the discussion of uh, you know food prices in Canada, which I think are at the front of everybody's minds these days in terms of cost of living. So we're going to get into that, unpack sort of myths, etc., and get his perspective on that. Uh, but we do have again the Looney Hour event. Coming up uh November 30th in Toronto. So again, if you're in Toronto, you're listening to this podcast, don't miss out. We actually had announced it a couple of days ago, but we have a housing panel uh ahead of time. So a housing panel with Ron Butler, who's been on the show, uh Angry Mortgage Ron Butler, uh Daniel Foch, who runs the Canadian Real Estate Podcast, and Jordan Skrinko, who's the uh, the pre-pre-con, pre-condo pinks. So if you want to know what's happening in the pre-sale market, so we're gonna do a housing roundtable with those guys. And then we're going to do the, uh, of course, the live podcast, Q and a drinks food. It's gonna be a great time. So we still got some tickets available. So again, if you're listening to this right now uh, go into the description to the show notes on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, there'll be a link there. We'll say link to Toronto tickets, click that. And uh, like I said, we'd love to see you on November 30th in Toronto in Danforth specifically.
1: Just, just to add to that, this happens every time we do a live event, like literally two days before people start emailing Steve and say, hey, any tickets left, any tickets left, and you develop a wait list usually. And then you yeah, so, can't uh, So don't wait, guys, just get it done so you don't be that guy.
0: You're a good salesman, you know, they don't give you enough credit.
1: Yeah, thanks. But I know you. it's one of Steve's frustrations with the Looney Hour live event, all the all the time he spends putting together, like last second, you know, he's like, "I need more tickets," and you know, you can't, uh, can't release. No, this anymore. One's
0: been, this one's gonna be awesome. I mean, like the events, right? We've had people flying from, you know, I think last time we were in Toronto, the Hockey Hall of Fame. There, we had people flying out from like Winnipeg, Saskatchewan. The guy from
1: Winnipeg had the uh, the uh, um, the Twinkie T shirts for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, yeah.
0: It's, it's it's always a good time. It's not like one of those like stuffy like finance, you know, events in a, in a hotel room, but uh, so anyways, that that's kind of the shtick there. Um, before And after we get to the interview here, we're going to follow up. Keith and I are going to discuss sort of market recap uh, this week. It's been a busy week, right? We had U- U.S. CPI data, U.S. retail sales, jobless ca- claims, uh, some big movements in the bond market. You had President Xi uh, floating around in San Fran there. So we're going to get to all of sort of the market commentary and uh, walk you guys through that. So uh, but without further ado let's bring on uh Dr. Sylvain Charbro the food professor onto the show. Welcome to the show uh, Sylvain Dr Sylvain Charbro Dr. Uh, Sylvain sorry I probably butchered that a little it's bit
2: but <laughs> the, the food professor that's why I mean it's just easier for everyone
0: <laughs> I, I used to take uh, I was in French immersion so I, I should be better at but uh Sylvain uh, Charlabois. Sylvain Charlabois. yeah for a little background, though, you are a Canadian researcher and professor in food distribution and policy at Dalhousie University uh, in Halifax. There, you're the former dean uh, of University's Faculty of Management. You also run a very popular podcast as well, and um, yeah, we see you on Twitter all the time. You're often quoted in the media, so I, in, in all respects, I consider you the you know the expert on on
1: you know food and and
0: what's happening in the food market, particularly here in Canada. So. Uh, we're, we're honored to have you on the show. And, you know, I guess my first question, first and foremost, is the biggest thing right now that Canadians are dealing with is cost of living, right? Food prices in particular, right? People go to the grocery stores and they're going, oh my gosh, like what, what, you know, and they're now paring back in your opinion, what is first and foremost, the biggest drivers of this food inflation?
2: Oh my goodness! <laughs> what do we? I know start? that's I a mean-
0: that's a loaded question. I know, and Keith and I obviously have our own opinions, but we're kind of curious your perspective, uh, you know, from the from the food industry.
2: It's a it's a variety of different factors. I mean, most people who don't necessarily understand supply chain economics will blame one person or one one company, and I'm not suggesting that uh, profiteering doesn't exist. In fact, for capitalism to exist, you kind of need a little bit of greed. Uh, that's that's human nature essentially. But for the larger, uh, most uh, more significant factors, I would certainly focus on a couple of things. One. I mean, climate change is an absolutely uh, devastating factor across the world. Every day you'll hear uh, a drought here affecting uh, specific crops, uh, floodings there affecting other crops. Uh, That's certainly the one factor, the wild card, I I would call it, uh, affecting food prices every single day. Uh, Regardless of how you see climate change or climate in general, climate is certainly a factor uh when it comes to food prices is there Um, any way
0: to measure like volatility in that just to unpack that like a little bit further in terms of like you know we obviously have always had you know storms and climate related events but in your view and your research are you seeing an acceleration in those sort of events impacting uh food chains food supply
2: yeah, I mean, there are two things happening. On the one hand, of course, you, you, ha- you do have more extreme weather patterns affecting production and distribution. Uh, but also, I mean, the last 30, 40 years, we've been focusing more on on a, a just-in-time model, which means that your margin of error is very, very small because uh, you don't necessarily have that, that buffer in between nodes of the supply chain. So vertical coordination has been quite difficult in the food industry uh, simply because a lot of companies hate each other. They don't necessarily cooperate. They don't necessarily work together as well as they should, especially between grocers and processing. Uh, It's been extremely difficult, which is why we've been talking a lot about this grocer uh, code of conduct uh, in the news of late to to allow for more vertical coordination, which would lessen price volatility. You you can see that in in the UK, Ireland, Australia, where there is a code of conduct and more vertical coordination, you do see price volatility be le- uh, being lessened as a result of of more of that. There's not enough of that, and so can that and that leads to higher food prices essentially.
0: Can you elaborate? I mean, just... code, of contact, code of conduct, code of conduct, because like again, like I think for like you know our listener that maybe is not following food markets, like what is a code of conduct? What is? Yep. You explain that in layman terms.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the weirdest thing about the food industry is that you have to pay a customer in order to do business with that customer. So Loblaw gets money from Pepsi, from Coke, Mondelez, Unilever, Procter. They get money, uh, listing fees, marketing fees, distribution fees. There are a lot of different fees. And over the last several years, uh, uh, grocers, and in particular, let's face it, Loblaws and Walmart, They've been quite abusive, increasing fees. And so what's happening right now, there's a bit of a rat race between grocers and, and processors. So grocers increase, they, they'll increase fees and suppliers will increase prices in order to offset the, or in order to mitigate the impact of higher fees. And so that's why you got to see prices go up. And at the end of the day, consumers pay more. That's the, That's the problem. So more, Vertical coordination, uh, more peace, really more discipline will lead to um, higher prices for sure, but not you won't you wouldn't see major bumps as we're seeing right now. So that's why some countries have actually decided to implement a code of conduct, allowing companies to go to a place to settle disputes. Right now in Canada, we don't have that. Uh, Loblaws and Walmart are calling the shots. And that's why we're seeing manufacturers really struggling in this country. And in fact, if you're looking at the Atlantic, if you look around, there's not much processing going on because it's incredibly hard to process anything, especially in regions like the Atlantic or, and I would say the prairies are in the same situation. Let, let's just stay on that
1: topic for a second. And then I want to jump over into a conversation about uh, yield, what's being produced and, and crops and like that. Uh, let's, why don't we stick with that first, note that I have in my mind. So with, with are yields declining or growing not as fast, or is it just cost more to produce the same as they were
2: in the past? Uh, I, I mean, it doesn't matter what you hear in the news, but agriculture is actually becoming more efficient and more productive, uh, let's face it. And, and that's due to uh, genetic engineering, mainly. Uh, yields are going up. If you look at wheat, if you look at canola, if you look at soy, I mean, all these commodities would actually produce more than ever last year in 2022, uh, globally. So uh I mean it's it's it boils down to price. Price, as you know, price takers will look at uh will look for opportunities. Uh if prices are depressed, they won't grow that stuff. I mean, that's basically how farmers work. Yeah. So yields are impacted by some of that, but mostly. Farmers are pretty darn well tool right now, much more so than five years ago to increase yields and grow more crops, despite Ukraine, despite Russia. I mean, markets are figuring out a way to get to grains grown all over the world, including Canada. Hey
0: guys, sorry to interrupt the show. Just wanted to mention that the the Looney Hours put out a survey. We're trying to survey our audience. We get a better understanding who's listening to the show. If we have brought any value to you over the last month, two months, two years that we've been doing this podcast, you can take 30 to 45 seconds out of your day and fill in the Looney Hour survey. There's going to be a link in the the show notes in the description. On YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, etc. We're going to ask you again, you know, your age, where you live, how many podcasts listen to a week. This helps us understand not only who you are, but also helps our advertisers know to make sure it's the right fit. So, to be honest, you ultimately we're asking for a favor. We rarely ask our audience for things, but if you don't mind taking 30 to 45 seconds out of your day to fill in the Looney hour survey. Again, in the show notes
1: below, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Why don't you just, you know, a lot of our uh, listeners, you know, are, they're like us, just average guys. We don't really know what, what how the food, we know where the food average, is coming sure. from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what would be the biggest cost that, that's running through for, uh, you know, commercial sized farms, where all of a sudden they decide, hey, we have to ramp up the prices here, which you know, ultimately is affecting margins on a lot of products. On, on the shelf at the end.
2: Um uh, are you talking about like crops, uh, cash crops? Yeah, let's
1: yeah, let's stay on that that market.
2: For yeah, now. for grains, I mean, uh again, it depends of 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 what region. If you go to the prairies, for example, uh I mean these are massive farms. You'll find you will easily find farms of of well over twenty thousand acres. Uh some of them are well over a hundred thousand acres uh and uh, and they're quite productive i mean i actually met there was one farmer on our podcast i think it was last year he was able to drive four tractors at once on his own okay that's how sophisticated things are becoming in farming the the, the weirdest thing about technology and and food is that when you look at both ends of the food continuum Technology, t- technological adoption is, is much greater on both ends, but in the middle, there's just, I mean, distribution processing are lagging, but farming, they're embracing it. They're absolutely embracing it. And of so course, cons- consumers are the same. Yeah. Is it fixed
1: cost or variable costs? Like
2: what? Like
1: is and what's their energy exposure? Like what, what are they eating? What are they using to drive everything and... You know, well it's, it's,
2: it's well. in terms of tractors you mean or i mean yeah. it's just i mean it's, it's cer- certainly grain production is is energy intensive and and they'll use a variety of different sources to do stuff diesel of course uh, you have to dry grains with propane uh, it's basically the only way to do it which is why there is some pushback around the carbon tax right now and and bill C234 is addressing this issue uh, along with uh, with uh, with barn eating for other uh, other verticals. But generally speaking, uh, grain production is 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 energy intensive uh, for specific portions of the year. So at the beginning uh, in seeding during seeding season, and at the end in the middle, is not much going on basically, other than perhaps irrigation and. And things like that, but other than soil and soil, uh, and soil uh, testing, but other than that, there's not much going on. But at the beginning, the end, very energy intensive, using so, different sources of energy.
0: Let's get into the uh, the carbon tax stuff because I, I, you know, I've seen you actually recently get in a, a spat there, you know, with the Bank of Canada and the Bank of Canada, of, of course, you know, actually surprisingly responding to you on Twitter. Um, so I. I was That's weird.
1: To- That's weird, see, because they never respond to us, do they?
0: No. Yeah. So you're yeah. Uh, you're, you're a threat,
1: Sylvan. You're you're a threat to these guys.
2: I, I I must say I was a bit I was a bit surprised, like everyone else, uh, for the Bank of Canada to single out one person, and that one person happens to be the one person asking questions about the carbon tax and their carbon formula which i thought was a bit flawed i don't know what your thoughts are but i actually do think that the bank of canada is misleading the public in terms of how the carbon tax is is affecting people's lives so especially when it comes to the cost of living
0: no totally so why don't we why don't we unpack that a little bit because can you explain to the you know the the listener here that hasn't maybe followed your tweets but like How is the Bank of Canada quantifying the impact of the carbon tax on overall CPI inflation today?
2: Yeah, so I think a month ago, uh, Governor uh, Macklem mentioned that the uh, coefficient uh, on inflation was 0.15 percentage point. Uh, And I was intrigued by that answer because we've been looking at this for six months (laughs) as a lab. And I thought, "Hmm, they know something we don't. So I was looking around. Did someone ask where the 0.15 came from? And nobody asked. So we did. So we sent out a note to the Bank of Canada, and we got a response, only to realize that their calculation is essentially based on looking at how the common tax is impacting retail prices linked to three components of the CPI, eating oil. Uh, natural gas and gasoline, and that's it. That's it. No and secondary
0: impacts. So no yeah,
2: that's right. And so uh, a few, I think it was a week later, I was testifying before the Finance Committee uh, and and did mention that we don't know exactly if this calculation is accurate uh, or not. And uh, I would suggest to ask the Bank of Canada for more information. The week after... Governor McLennan was before the same committee and then he dropped this 0. 0.6 percentage point comment for the first time verbally uh, in front of, of camera and uh, basically said that uh, the inflation rate would drop by 0. 0.6 percentage point overnight for one year, one time only. I think that's 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 his words. Um, and so the, the inflation would drop by 0.16. And again, I don't understand why I would say that because nobody knows really for sure what would happen to inflation. Going back to the Harper years, when Harper cut the GST by 2% within eight months, uh, within 18 months, and, and the GST did, does impact most elements of the CPI, the inflation, inflation actually did go up, not down. And so I, I, I've argued, I'm not sure the Bank of Canada understands what uh, it is saying right now. And my belief is pretty simple. I don't think the Bank of Canada should have quantified the impact of carbon, carbon tax because you can't do it. A lot of things can impact retail prices, not just the carbon tax.
0: So it's an educated guess at best is what you're saying.
2: That's what it is. And I I would have appreciated if the Bank of Canada would have said that. Uh, but I think it my guess is that they do realize that they made a mistake by quantifying it uh in a very narrow way, very narrowly, because I basically posted the email. I don't know if you guys saw that, but I posted the exact email I got from the Bank of Canada. Basically acknowledging that the calculation only looks at three components, and I think it really made things complicated for the Bank of Canada. And this, and that's probably why they responded back to only me on Twitter, which I thought was uh, honestly, I think it was on call for because after that reply, everyone, as you know, gentlemen, people don't read emails. They they, and the Bank of Canada was not refuting anything I wrote. It just said that it was in their notes in February. That's all they said. Yeah. It wasn't but just, new information according to them, but to many of us, it was actually new information.
0: So basically, like almost like in their analysis, what they're saying effectively is that you know we're not measuring um the farmer that has to pay a carbon tax on the fuel to run his tractors. And then once we load it up in the containers and we ship it across the country. Uh, to different cities, you know, those truck drivers then have to pay a carbon tax on their fuels. And so we're not quantifying any of those impacts into the overall cost of the food that you're paying.
2: You're you're talking about the compounding effect of the carbon tax across the supply chain, which is something that we weren't able to do as a lab so far, because you need firm level data and for and getting firm level data is close to impossible. And I would argue that the Bank of Canada doesn't have access to that data either. And that's, right, that's right. the trick yeah.
0: here. It just feels though, like ultimately it's like common sense that if like, if you're if if it becomes more expensive for the farmer to run his tractors and more expensive for the truck driver to truck the food, then naturally someone has to pass those costs on to the end user that's right. at some point.
2: So that's why I recommended to FINA, to the finance committee when I was there to pause on the carbon tax <clears throat> For for the food industry from farm for farm gate to to store because we don't know I mean I'm I'm personally not necessarily against the carbon tax if if you drive a Hummer I think you should pay a tax to be honest I mean but when it comes to food stakes are pretty high I mean and and if we don't know what the risks are we should pause and assess what the risks actually are. Are we? And frankly, we've been looking at the IPPI in Canada versus the IPPI in the U.S. That's the, the, the uh, Industrial Product Price Index. Nobody talks about that. The Industrial Product Price Index looks at the competitiveness of a supply chain. So we looked at the food IPPI in Canada versus the food IPPI in the U.S. And guess what's going on? There's a gap and that gap is growing, costs are going up in Canada, and in the US, it has remained stable. So what it means is that our food industry's competitiveness is being compromised. Now, is it being compromised by the carbon tax? We don't know for sure, but it's probably not helping.
0: Creating visual content is an essential part of what I do, but the creative process hasn't always been easy. That is, until we discovered Canva. The Looney Hour uses Canva to create social media images and marketing materials for our live events. Designing custom artwork using Canva is so easy, even the boomer can do it. Canva for Teams is a design platform that makes it easy for anyone to create stunning content in any format, from social media posts to videos, presentations, and websites. Ever since i found Canva for Teams, it's been easy to collaborate and design with the team, which makes the whole process so much more creative and fun. We personally love using Canva templates. Canva has templates designed specifically for all social media platforms, which saves us a ton of time and money. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash hour That's canva.me slash loonyhour for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash hour.
1: What else could it be then? I just find it such an interesting conversation. And I also find it fascinating with, from the Bank of Canada's perspective, that they think on their own that they need to start this conversation and quantify it? Or I would assume they were told they need to quantify it. And they, you know, I'm not asking you to answer that, but it's just my own my own thoughts with it. Yeah. But to have such a I mean, every economy is they have a lot of similarities, especially when you get at that level. And there are some differences, of course, but have to such have one. Cost base remain basically flatlined. Another one to start accelerating or growing. There has to be a difference. So what what else could it be besides a carbon tax? What else would affect the Canadian? Uh, it's a, it's data? a good
2: question. I mean, there's there are, there are labor costs, distances, uh, transportation costs. I mean, we we are in a very big, from a food distribution perspective, our country is a problem. I mean, it's a vast country with only forty million people. Uh, I've always argued everyone wants more competition. I mean, we're talking about competition all the time these days. Even if prices would be dropping, everyone still wants more competition. That's not the point. The point is, and I've argued that to Parliament, make Canada more competitive. Make Canada an attractive place to invest. And if you do that, you will raise the bar when it comes to competition. That's all you need to do. So you have to deal with, you know, uh, our fiscal regime you have to deal with interprovincial barriers and there are lots of them when it comes to food uh, look at nova scotia you know we have a an incredible wine industry and we can't sell to the rest of canada it's easier to sell to the us it doesn't make any sense how can you grow an economy when you have these barriers that's why the equalization program is so important <laughs> for nova scotia we can't build wealth that's the problem and so that's, those are the hard questions to ask, because the hardest part is to make Canada competitive. To say that we need more competition is the easiest thing to do. To say that we need to get rid of the carbon tax is the easiest thing to do. I think the real problem is competitiveness.
0: And what's does that come back to your like, you know, the, the code of conduct that you, you discussed earlier, which is like you've got, you know, Loblaws in Walmart basically uh, flexing their muscles, uh, and, and passing on higher fees to these producers. Yeah. Um, in, in your experience and your research there, I mean, is Canada considered one of the less, uh, competitive countries in terms of, uh, the food, food, food grocers. Like I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, you know, uh, the NDP likes to talk about, uh, you know, greedy CEOs and and this and that. And, uh, I'm kind of curious your perspective on that. Like, I think Canada is clearly a country that's built on monopolies. You know, five big banks, a <gasps> couple big grocery. Uh, retailers.
2: Love monopolies.
1: Two, there know. are two podcasts worth listening to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I mean, let's face it. Keynes love oligopolies and monopolies. Uh, 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 but as soon as pricing and cost of living becomes a problem, then monopolies are a problem. That that's basically it. And when it comes to food, I mean. The grocery. First of all, I, I I must I mean, I know all these CEOs and these companies very well, and I talk to them all the time. They're good companies. They're well run. Okay, they have tight margins, but they know their business very well. Eric Lafleche from Metro is an accountant. He knows what he's doing. Okay, he understands his market very well. Uh, Michael Medline, he's a brand guy, out of uh, out of uh, Toronto. He's running Empire uh, very well. Uh, he understands how to deal with is network of independent grocers. It's, so base complicated. Loblaws. Um, uh, I mean, Loblaws is probably the easiest company to run because it's all corporate. It's all corporate stuff. They, they, they want president's choice in, in aisle three it's done tomorrow. I mean, that's how Loblaws is to execute anything. It's easy and they're doing, and they do it very well. And they have this super cluster called president's choice and they've, innovated so much. It's incredible. So these companies are are well run, but they have a lot of power and they're actually, they're really undermining food processing and independent grocers in Canada, unfortunately.
1: I just have one more question for you. I know you have to run here. Um, why don't you share something with the listeners uh, from a, a basic level that you think they, they're just not aware of? in into food. And it's a very, it's a complete open canvas for you to say, did you know that this happens or, or that happens? So something like that.
2: Oh, uh, I mean, I, I would say that uh, when you walk into a store, whether it's a grocery store, Uh, A discount store, a dollar store, uh, a giant tiger, doesn't matter what it is. I mean, you have to understand that what goes on before your food reaches the food reaches shelves. There's there's lots of negotiations going on. And some grocers, some retailers not necessarily have more power, but they are applying their power very differently. And let, let me give you an example like Dollarama. That's another great company. And I don't own shares of any of these companies. I'm not allowed to. But I would say if I, if I were allowed to, I'd buy shares from Dollarama <laughs> right now. They know how to cater to a frugal market. So Kraft Heinz, when they negotiate with Dollarama, they know that they have this monopoly on shelves. So Dollarama will carry basically one brand of peanut butter, 500 grams, smooth peanut butter. Okay, and that's why you can actually go at Dollarama and buy that pay number for $3.50. It's the cheapest deal in town. Right next to it, you may actually get some obscure brand, but that's it. That's how they run their business. It's 1,500 SKUs, and that's it. Costco is another one. Costco is a bank. Costco is 4,000 SKUs, 15%. So every, when you walk into Costco, you see uh, a bottle of olive oil. You know that Costco is making 15%. It's pretty simple. And they make $300 million just selling membership without selling one product. So that's a bank and they do it very well. So what consumers need to understand is that every store is supported by a different business model that leads to different prices. You can't, it's unreasonable to think that peanut butter will be priced the same everywhere. That's crazy. If you were, um
0: well, I know we got to be respectful of your time, but we, you know, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, for those that are interested in learning more about, uh, you know, the food market uh, and what's going on here with, with food prices, et cetera, in Canada, I highly recommend you to check out uh, the Food Professor, the podcast, the Food Professor. And of course, you're on uh, Twitter. What's your Twitter handle again? Food Professor. At Food Professor. Keep it simple. <laughs> there you go. I Keep love it, it simple. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. We appreciate you coming on the loony hour and we'll hopefully uh, have you on again here soon.
2: Oh, absolutely. If you invite me back, I certainly will show up. And I apologize for the, for the, uh, for the late to that, the fact that I have to leave now. So, but thank you very much for the invitation. I appreciate it you're the man thanks for coming on hey
0: guys sword so here at the show just want to remind you the Looney hour is going to be live in toronto on thursday november 30th starting at 6 p.m the doors are going to open it's going to be a live podcast drinks appetizers laughs good times it's going to be so much fun if you've ever been to any of our live events i'm sure a lot of you can attest to that but to go check out our past live events on our youtube channel there you can check it out come meet hundreds of other Looney hour listeners come support the show we'd love to see you there there's going to be a link in the show notes below, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on Spotify or Apple, there's going to be a link in the description, which will take you directly to the Eventbrite page where you can purchase a
1: ticket. Hope to see you there.
0: That was a really good interview with uh, Dr. Sylvan there.
1: I know, but you know, I feel hungry right now.
0: Despite me butchering his name, I apologize.
1: You didn't get my food joke. I'm feeling hungry. See, this is why we're missing Rich because Rich would laugh at my dumb jokes.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. If, you know, people are going to have to just stick with you and I, you know, people always ask um, how the Looney Hour came to be and how I, how I met you. And I think I've told this story a few times to people that come to the live events and stuff, but originally you and I were supposed to start a podcast, just the two of us. And then you were like, Hey, you should talk to this rich guy. And then Rich was like, Hey, I heard you guys are starting a podcast. Can I join? And then like you and I, neither didn't have the heart to tell like this random guy no. <laughs> that's a true story, by the <laughs> way, for anyone's listening. And
1: so, yeah, it it was something like that. I I think you know people ask me as well, and and I say well, like Steve and I met online, you know, yeah. and yeah, that's how everybody meets these We're days. We're doing
0: interviews together on uh, Real Vision.
1: Yeah, I remember you and I became friends once. Uh, I think I was your guest once on your own. Uh, yeah platform and uh it's fun but it just shows i mean i I think the world is an amazing place these days i like the joke you know the internet has flattened the world you know there's no barriers to entry anymore you know like you know three guys with with a microphone can you know create this awesome national media platform and uh you know have these great conversations which is great rich we are missing you because you know we all know steve is the serious one of the three of us rich is the smart one and what does that leave me what What? which one would i be
0: yeah <laughs> you tell me i don't know
1: <laughs> i don't know either
0: <laughs> but uh, Keith, we'll Keith, we, uh we did have a really busy week in financial markets so i was kind of hoping to get that uh you know with you which is uh you know start things off us us cpi data um Coming in softer than expected, uh, I believe it was a headline inflation coming in at three point two. I think the expectation was like for three four. Uh, core prices more or less flat, but it, it, all in all, the market looked at that and says, "Wow, like you know, things are things are coming off quicker than anticipated."
1: Yeah, it, it was. Uh, so right now, it is it is one of the single biggest drivers b- besides the Fed meeting that, that comes out. The American inflation data points, so CPI as well as PPI. Uh, so CPI is consumer price index. That's what we pay when we're buying food and and stuff like that. Uh, PPI is producer price index. So is what is is what the the makers of stuff what, what's happening with their prices. So you know you sort of get a you know feeding through the python so to speak. So it gives you a good idea. But when American CPI data comes out, the reason it's such a big market mover today. Because it's giving us a glimpse of what the u.s federal reserve is seeing and uh, the expectation is that if inflation is slowing or growing slower than expected it means the fed will not be hiking interest rates anymore and markets like that because they, they they take off so this week we had the american cpi data and, um, you know, God bless Rich. He goes into a lot of detail on it. Uh, but, you know, the, the boomer perspective of it, all of the inflation data points that came out earlier this week on Tuesday, it, it was a little bit slower than what the market was expecting. That's all you need to know. And because of that, the the dollar got mullered. So Canadian dollar, euro, pound, everything just ripped higher, equities ripped higher, and you name it, because it means wow, the Fed is going to stop hiking rates because inflation has has stopped growing, and that that was the story on Tuesday. If you look in between the numbers, though, um, you know, at one one, you have to say, hey, you know, as as you know, again, Rich, as you said, the devil's in the details all the time. Uh, two data points were jumping out if you really look into it. One was the uh, impact of, of housing, or. Um, you know, they, they, yeah exactly they 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 factor that in uh that should start to increase again so the point is that even though this was a soft I think, number
0: i i i mean again maybe you know i tend to disagree with that to be honest
1: uh, this is one of their research uh notes i was yeah. reading from, from one of the guys i know you know they were suggesting hey this could start swinging higher again don't get too complacent And then the other complacency, uh, of course, is is with energy prices as well. Because that's low um, data point that came on inflation. It it implied that the uh, oil inventory levels were extraordinarily high, because it meant that that that's the way it was working. So anyway, the point is the inflation data points, it was soft. Markets took off. It was great. There was a great rally this week. And, uh, but now they're starting to reset again. And and the thing that really caught our attention. So today, you know, today's we report on Thursdays, but it's nighttime, you know, it's dark here and Steve is in the afternoon over on over on his side. Um, but today uh, oil prices were down almost 5%. And um, what happened was that inventory levels that we released for the US were, were a lot higher than expected. So, um, you know, the Canadian dollar got got hit pretty hard today. You know, the Canadian dollar was swing back and forth between trading with oil and without oil, depending on on what's going on. But the you know, Canadian dollar was up about one and a quarter percent, one point four percent, on Tuesday, Tuesday into Wednesday, uh, because the American CPI data. And, and today, it, it gave up about seventy five percent of that already. So again, we're getting this was a really big swing week for a lot of financial markets. And it, it's sort of the, you know, we see this sort of the calm before, you know, the next storm that's brewing. Because as you know, Steve, like the current storm, especially in your world, are rising rates. Like that. that's made it difficult for for a lot of families across the country. Um, so it seems like now that's that story is probably over for, for overnight rates. But the next one is, you know, do we now all of a sudden, hey, if we're not raising rates anymore, and inflation is falling that much, and demand is starting to fall as well. That means the recession is coming, and that's that's going to be the mother. It's not the not the rate hikes that happened over the last two years. If, if we get a dramatic slowdown, it's going to make uh, like with some real real interesting conversations for us every week coming up. I
0: well, mean, I mean, I think that's kind of the case. Is like you look at it, it seems to me like the recession trade is kind of like back in view, right? I mean, over the last what Keith like month and a half, two months, it was kind of like, oh, the reflation trade, right? Like inflation was proving more stubborn, bond yields started backing up, you know, US growth was looking pretty good. And now it feels like in the last two, three, four weeks, the data is is finally starting to shift again. Uh, so, you know, US CPI falling more than expected, uh, US retail sales kind of hanging on, but not looking overly great. Uh, initial jobless claims, we got that data figure today. Uh, those rising uh, jobless claims rising uh, the most in almost two years, uh, so you're starting to see that in the labor market as well. Of course, uh, producer price index, which you mentioned earlier, uh, th- that, those fell uh, you know half a percent in October. So it seems like this is all kind of starting to come into into light, which is really not surprising. It's almost surprising that it took this long, right? I mean, I think you remember 2022, everyone was talking about, oh, the recession, the recession's just around the corner. And like, here we are at the end of 2023 and, and we still haven't officially declared any recessions. I mean, certainly in Canada, it feels like the recession is already here. You know, you look at, you know, the last two quarters of GDP and, uh, you know, the recession, like I said, I think is here, but it seems like it's so it, it's it
1: moment. sounds like Steve's no longer having a you know prime rib on the bone every night. It seems like I'm not
0: gonna lie. I think i I'd say I've like I think I've cut back. Have you?
1: Well, I had nothing to cut back from. I, I'm a pretty simple guy, yeah, I'm right, um,
0: getting like nice uh, $50 um, off of chianti every night.
1: I'm modest. I'm very modest. Uh, I am modest guy. Isn't that funny the way I said that? By saying I'm a modest guy, and the way I said it, it means I'm not modest.
0: You've heard that old, yeah.
1: You see again, like we're missing Rich. Rich would be like slapping his head over that one. <laughs> He's always good for a laugh. <laughs> uh, heard that he old is...
0: story. The the analogy of Warren Buffett when like the like you know every I think what is it Like every morning he drives to the McDonald's drive through. Dairy Queen. Him.
1: He's a Dairy Queen guy.
0: No, I think it's McDonald's. He switched. Well, he owns like Dairy Queen stock, but I think he actually. Okay. I think he actually, and apparently he gets like the breakfast sandwich or whatever the hell he gets, and he'll only add the hash brown if the markets are up for the day. The market's down, he like skimps out on the hash brown. Like, what a
1: cheap bastard! Yeah, some people are wired
0: differently.
1: (laughs) It's funny, kind of funny with with him. You know, he's had a lot of success over the years, of course. Same Uh,
0: pickup truck, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, so it's just not, ne- it's not up, necessary. Like- yeah, it's not necessary. Do you know what I mean? But, Liz you know, the, the thing with Buffett, like, you're never allowed to speak ill of Warren Buffett and everything. And listeners are going like, oh, Keith's going to say something. But, you know, he, behind the scenes, he's just as cruel and cold-hearted as the next guy. When it comes to making a nickel from someone, he'll bleed them dry. He He will. He's not this Like, the nice old grandfather, that guy does not make billions in in the investment world. Um, But let's... (laughs) I mean, the guy only invests basically in, like,
0: monopolies. So, I mean, it kind of tells you what you need to know in terms of his worldview. Like, it's, you know, he's not investing in monopolies to demonopolize them. hes
1: Well, why is he against the pipeline?
0: Because he wants to
1: have... Because he owns the trains. He's making gazillions on the, like... Like sending the oil down on trains, you move to the pipeline, the guy loses. Uh, but back to the you, you just remind me something uh, uh, that catches our attention all the time you know, 2022, uh, a lot of people were expecting the world to roll in the recession in, in Canada, and technically, Canada how, has now hit the recession. Uh, but I say it's a technical we we you know, we hit a slowdown, it it's like,
0: not like it's not that bad.
1: Yeah, some people would argue. They'll say, "No, no, it it is bad, right?" Like these two jokers in Kitsilano yeah. and this self then and Halifax are not living in the real world. But it, you know, we we haven't hit anything hard yet. But despite all of the uh, monetary tightening by central banks, you have to remember, um, it, and this is where it's not their fault in really achieving their objective. That there's still so much stimulus coming out of the government spending side that a lot of it is offsetting or neutralizing a, a lot of this monetary tightening at the same time. So that's why it, it's, it continues to be our expectation that we are going to hit a recession. And we don't. We live in a world of absolutes in the way that we you know we manage portfolios. We live in a world of probabilities. But in in our mind, the probability of Canada having a, a not just recession but a harder recession that anyone is is thinking about, it it is a significant probability. And you know it's just getting pushed out a, a little bit here. and you know, and now we're in Q four, of course. So we get the bank earnings coming out now. I think it's next week or the week after Steve. We get another cool glimpse. Uh, it was funny. I had, I had dinner with uh, with my friends a, a few nights ago uh on a school night steve imagine that boomer out on a school night see again where's rich rich would laugh you gotta
0: put the laugh track in here yeah
1: yeah <laughs> and uh maybe we already need rich anymore we just need a rich track right we just yeah. do his laugh yeah that's interesting there's another one for you rich <laughs> but uh he works at one of the big banks and uh i won't say which color shirt he wears but he's been directly involved with layoffs over the last three to four weeks, and uh, I said, how, how is it? You know, he's you know that's what he does at the bank, right? He's always cutting on the bone." And of course, it was, I said, "Are you all done?" He said, "Yeah, I'm, I think I'm done." And I said, well, "What about you? Because usually you're the you know the guy who lays off everyone. You're the guy that gets laid off at the end." And uh, he said, "He said I'm safe for now, but we'll we'll see where we go with it." But it sort of leads into One of the big you know,
0: banks, though. Just to kind of chime in of what's happening, like in the mortgage market, um, is again we're seeing the you know the bond market. You know, yields are obviously falling, right? So that typically gets passed through into your fixed rate mortgages here in, in Canada. Uh, again, most banks are being very reluctant to to drop their fixed rate mortgage uh, rates, so um, just less competition. They're just not as excited about. Aggressively sourcing out uh, new mortgages, right? So it was like you know during the the pandemic and the the housing euphoria, right? The banks were all tripping over themselves to to win a, a new client, right? Like they would just aggressively cut their cut their rates, undercut the competition to get the client, get the client, get the client. And today, what you're seeing is here's our best offer take it or leave it we don't care for 15 20 basis points higher than the other guy if if you want to use the other guy go ahead we're not going to chase the business and so i think that's it's kind of telling of, of the bank's perspective right now uh in terms of you know deploying capital and, and trying to sort of shore up their balance sheet
1: and what are you seeing uh, outside of the, the banks offerings so uh you know moving you know one step lower like are they being more aggressive, trying to compete, or are they have they retrenched as well
0: in terms of like credit unions and stuff.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, I don't seem to have a strong opinion on that. I would just say in general, the mortgage market is is not very competitive right now. Um,
1: I think I think Ron Butler would have a strong opinion. We'll hear his opinion at the Toronto Live event. That's right,
0: there's a good plug. For <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, like I said, we'll we'll see. I mean, the housing market here remains slow things are I would say pretty pretty illiquid. Uh it's a slow market. So we'll we'll kind of, you know everyone's kind of pontificating now of what's going to happen in the new year and rates and uh we have a lot of sellers that are um uh, you know people aren't getting their price right oh I tried my price you know my price was kind of like the six month ago price but I don't really want the new price so that this price isn't working take me off the market and let's try again in the spring. And people have been so trained in Canadian real estate that, you know, the spring market typically always comes back stronger, and you always get your price, you just gotta, you just gotta wait. And so that seems to be the strategy for a lot of uh, a lot of people these days. And we'll we'll see how that plays out.
1: Well, you know, uh, you know, I just heard our view on where we think the economy is headed, and, and that's gonna have enormous repercussions on a lot of financial markets, especially credit markets, I think credit markets are set up for failure.
0: And it's like that's a bit for-
1: dramatic, though, isn't it? Maybe like, I shouldn't say failure. Maybe I should say waiting
0: for those credit spreads to blow out. It's just like it's like you know, like the, like the meme with like the guy with the stick, and he's like, "Come on, do something." <laughs>
1: like, what well, like, put this it this way: Can they get any better? And the answer is no. Like, there's it's about as tight as it can get. So therefore, you know what your upside is, and you better hedge your downside. So if you're able to do that, then you're you're fine. But but again, like the in in that space, the only way it can get better for credit spreads to tighten. And so, so, credit spreads is really the rate that people pay above what the government has to pay when when they borrow. And when the economy is booming, we don't have to pay much more than the government, right? Because the probability of you paying it back, it's yeah, you want to get your money back. When we hit a recession or the economy slows, that's when credit spreads widen. So that's when I say, you know, we, we think credit markets can get get hit. To give you an example, you know, I was chatting with a real nice family a couple of days ago. And, um, you know, they're older, saved their whole life. And and their, the entire investment portfolio is just jammed into the bond market. That's, that's the way it is. And they have not had a nice experience over the last couple of years. And it's all based on this premises that on this premise that hey bonds are low risk you know you don't need to worry about anything you know and and see you know like we we disagree with that completely because you look at a forty year chart of long term rates went from twenty percent down to zero it has to go higher but there, there's a lot of people you know it's back to this you know this conversation we're having now that you know credit spreads they continue to be priced for a normal Growing economy, and that it hasn't moved to be something worse. So, what, what caught my attention today? Here's an article. Uh, so, Desjardins Securities, um, you know, they're 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 big enough. You know, they they're, they they make a noise. But uh, here here is the article from them. Um, they predict the Bank of Canada will have to cut its policy rate at a faster and deeper rate than financial markets realize. Right. Uh, and they say it's due to a persistent drag on consumption. You ready, Steve? From pending mortgage renewals. It's just common sense. If if more and more families have to take more of of their discretionary income to pay on their mortgage, it means there's less money available, less aggregate income available to spend on stuff. So whether the stuff is, uh, you know, restaurants or, you know, Steve's favorite store a Canadian tire and and things like that you know it the, the economy comes down so what Desjardins, what they say then um they're forecasting the Bank of Canada to cut rates by one and a half percentage points in 24. so we're going from five to three and a half next year and they say another 125 and 25. so they're saying in 2025, So a year, let's call it 18 months out. The Bank of Canada could be down to two and a quarter percent. And some people are thinking right now, hey, that's awesome. Hey, my, you know, my February market is going to improve.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm telling you, these guys, they don't want to be right with this. Your fear should be is that they are right. Because if that's happening, the economy is just getting muttered. And we don't want that. Right, that just creates yeah, a worse. Yeah, that's kind of like
0: a catch twenty twenty, or catch twenty two, right? Which is like, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're hoping yeah. for your mortgage to kind of your mortgage renewal is coming up. You're kind of hoping for that, but you also got to be worried about the security of your job.
1: Well, that's just it. Let's just say your mortgage rate. Let's just say right now you're paying two grand a month for a mortgage. Is that a normal mortgage?
0: I mean, in Vancouver now. I mean, if you're uh, if you got a studio apartment in Abbotsford, maybe.
1: Okay, what if you're not in, you don't have a studio apartment I think, I in mean, Oxford.
0: honestly, like m- new mortgage size, I mean, again, you have to think like your your benchmark price of a home is like oh, one, over a million dollars in Vancouver, right? So, I mean, if you're putting down... Okay,
1: let's go GTA. Let's just say some of GTA has a mortgage at three grand a month. Let's let's say that. Sure,
0: I, think, I still think if you're a new purchaser, that's incredibly conservative, but yes, three grand. Look at me. I'm a
1: conservative guy, right? I'm not a... Yeah, I know I am, I am. And it's not, I did it again by saying I'm not a conservative guy. Rich, that's means... well, right. <laughs> uh, but again, let's just say you're paying three grand a month for your mortgage and it comes up for renewal and you get to keep it at three, right? Because of the timing of rates coming off as Desjardins is uh, it's suggesting may happen, right? You never know if it will or not. There's also the probability that you don't have your job in that market or your partner doesn't have a job in that market or you're not getting the bonus that you normally get and and so forth. So with, you know, again, if if we get this prediction or not prediction, it's a forecast what may happen. The Bank of Canada going from 5% down to two and a quarter within 18 months. You know, we're initially thinking, hey, this is awesome. I'm telling you, it is not awesome because there's a lot more you know, hey, less kind things happening in the economy.
0: To, to your point, and then, you know, I'll, I'll put an asterisk next to the I like the guy, David Rosenberg. I, I, he's been quite wrong over the last year. So let's see you a know, year and a half. Let's give him, you know, let, let's get that clear. But yeah, he also put out a piece this week as well. Same sort of view, which was that uh, um, assuming rates stay anywhere near these levels, he says in aggregate, all those extra interest payments on people's mortgages, etc., amounts to a 20% reduction in the national disposable income by the end of 2026. So again, um, interest payments would amount to a 20% reduction in national disposable income by the end of 2026. Uh, So it's his view that um, rates are coming down hard and fast. So he thinks the Bank of Canada is gonna be forced to cut two percentage points from its current rate. Uh, over the next 12 to 18 months. So he sees the overnight rate getting back down to 3% uh within the next 18 months. Now again, whether you like him, disagree with him, it's just an opinion. I think it's a well-educated individual that's that's put his opinion out there and and you know, people can laugh about it or you know, but I think this is a pretty smart guy and so we'll see maybe maybe he is right
1: this time. Mm. And and that narrative it actually makes it makes sense, you know, just from a, a practical you know, perspective in that, you know, the, the economy, you know, maybe we're wrong. Maybe it economy roll over. Put it this way. Let's just look at the other direction. Let's say the economy doesn't stall here. It takes off. It goes bangers again, Steve. Right? It's growing. Well, now what happens with uh, overnight rates? They're going higher. They're going, now all of a sudden, we're no longer at 5%. We're up to 6, 6.5%. You know, as, as Matt Damon said that time, how do you like those apples? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's not a good outcome either way. Here, like, I don't what know. Yeah. You know, what about? It's, uh... Uh,
0: I'm kind of curious, like, yeah, like I, I guess my question for you is though, like from a market financial markets perspective, are you starting to get interest interested in bonds from like a tactical perspective? Like again, I, I know you're like, hey, I'm long bonds for the next 10 years, but like from a tactical trading perspective, like if you're like hey you know what recession seems like it's kind of here and things might get worse it seems like that that might be a decent tactical trade is to get long bonds
1: uh we we did a tactical trade in the bond market uh yesterday and and today so uh I'll share what that was in a couple of weeks so um I guess it's one of the it's one of those blackout it's one of those blackout periods. eh? Hey? dun dun dun. What did they do? What did they do? This is where
0: Nancy Pelosi starts
1: trading behind the scenes here. <laughs> hey, Nancy's my friend. I, I I hung out with her at the football game.
0: That's right. Oh yeah. She
1: drinks a nice Pinot. She has a nice taste in wine.
0: He guys like both like little you know, Chianti.
1: A Pinot Noir, not not Chianti. Oh
0: okay. Well, I mean, like you like it. You like everything. I thought you were a Chianti guy
1: i like chianti as well yeah
0: yeah pinot noir yeah, nice little, yeah. so every time we go to the we hour we do the live events we'll go for dinner after keith's always ordering
1: the, ordering up the nice
0: wine and i'm always uh expanding my palate it's uh it's quite so, guys,
1: so everyone like c was in uh in new york a few days ago on a, on a trip and uh you know he he finished his meetings for the day and he you know he he's like hey what should i do now and i said oh this is easy like Go down to the village. There's some great restaurants there. You know, have a great fill, and then just take your time and walk up through all the neighborhoods. Steve goes, "Nope, I'm going to do a hockey game instead and have a Budweiser." Oh yeah! <laughs> what a great Canadian! I sat in the uh, nosebleeds
0: at the MSG there, man. What a what a cool barn, but man, it it, it that is a crappy arena.
1: It's, it's been Steve there a long there. time. Yeah. I, I was at Madison Square Garden once. It was in two two 2002, I think it was. Uh, I was over there for some meetings and uh, I was doing, uh, we, we did some business with Goldman at the time. This is when I was offshore. And uh, the guy I'm hanging out with, hey, yeah, we, you, you want to go to a basketball game? I don't watch basketball. This is, you know, over 20 years ago then. And, uh, I said, uh, he said, hey, we got the Goldman box for the night. And I'm like, okay, let's go. So (laughs) we we had the Goldman Sachs box. It was the, uh, what's the New York? It was the Knicks Knicks, against the Milwaukee Bucks. Some good Pinot in the box? It was great food and drink. Like it was really, really nice there everything. And um, so Mrs. Icecap was with me too then. We had a great time. We had a good time. And I'm still talking, Steve, I'm still talking about it.
0: Yeah, geez, man, that's amazing. You got some good friends.
1: I um, have a few friends.
0: Yeah, just to kind of round round it up though, from like a markets perspective. So again, like it feels like the data is kind of finally coming around to our perspective. I know you've been really vocal about this, about the the possibility of maybe it's more than a soft landing. Um, maybe it's something a little bit more difficult than that. But Yeah, I'm kind of curious, like your view, it feels to me like there's just been like this, like especially I was just like getting, you know, just getting hammered with it on Twitter over the last, again, especially the last two to three months of just like everybody talking about like higher for longer, higher for longer, higher for longer. And like the same, like, is there, in your opinion, like, is there a more consensus trade than higher for longer?
1: I think that's starting to roll over now, Steve. So if you look the at the narrative
0: rate... now is getting tested, obviously, because the data points are coming in, but it would seem like everybody, like I would I would talk to like clients that like aren't even involved or interested in financial markets. And like, I heard like higher for longer.
1: So finance, you, so you mean overnight rates, right? Like Fed yeah, funds, Bank of Canada.
0: overnight oh, overnight rates, bond yields, whatever. Like I, I I'm not saying that I necessarily disagree with the thesis. I just think I've never seen a more consensus view. And my concern is that typically when you get everybody on one side of the boat, typically something else happens.
1: uh, So in the financial market world, it is not that view. Right now, the financial market world is positioned for central banks to start cutting rates next year. So that might be the... the
0: you know, the, the stock market's pushing higher, everyone's got this euphoria. Yeah, that just seems it, like a tactical trade.
1: Well, but even if you price like uh different markets that are priced off the like the Fed funds rate or the, the backs up in Canada, like they're they're starting to price cuts next year. Yeah. So they can so you know, we talk about this quite a bit in that we can be in, a, in an economy where rates come down. But the economy can start to deteriorate so much that the rates that you and I see at the bank are actually going higher. And that goes back to credit spreads are widening. And I think that's where we're going to go. So the consensus trade right now, so in in the bond market world, consensus trade is that overnight rates are going to cut next year. Mm -hmm. But then the non-consensus view is that credit spreads are not going to widen it's still okay to hold corporate debt high yield debt emerging right. market debt preferred shares like all this stuff linked to it and if if overnight rates are going to cut it means that other world is going to blow up and i'm telling you there are
0: yeah, yeah. well exactly so what, what i mean what you're saying like i mean the markets are pricing in a soft landing they're pricing in that corporate corporate earnings are going to be good uh, you know, Fed's going to cut rates just because inflation's more or less getting back to target and the economy's slowing a little bit, but it's going to yeah. slow a little bit. But, you know, retail spending is going to hold up and delinquencies are going to remain relatively, you know, low. And so everything's going to be OK, but we'll get we'll get a little bit of easing from central banks anyways. Like that seems like that's effectively what they're pricing in no?
1: Yeah, yeah. Right. Because, you know, equity markets are still, you know, you know, holding their. Totally. current levels so when that starts to roll over it'll be, it be the that oh,
0: happened in oh what oh seven oh eight too
1: yeah but again like this thinking that you know rates will go higher for longer uh, if that's just what people are talking about on the street you know maybe they just don't have access to what's been happening with financial markets over the last three days because they, they've they've changed dramatically everyone now they are starting like you know just even the economists right like the day N article I, I just mentioned um you know the, we're now getting prepped for that so the contrarian trade is that corporate credit you know gets smashed because it hasn't happened yet right and credit spreads yeah. are still okay um there's always a contrarian trade i mean like with oil coming off so much today as an example uh, no, oil is interesting, you know, because you have this geopolitical overlay right now. Because what what's happening in in the Middle East and everything. Uh, if all that gets sorted out and there's nothing extra happening, then you go to economic side and you know demand should be slowing. And then everyone they'll you know, they'll try to you know adjust their output, you know, to try to control prices again. But uh, there, there's a lot of extremes happening right now, and anyone who feels a bit complacent you know you know just because we we had a a soft cpi print th- again this is that you know this the calm you know before something else comes up so what do we know about a uh, six weeks to year end yeah i remember it was i think it was december in 2016 or 15 so a bunch, a bunch of my friends, we we go to the one of the pubs every year on Christmas Eve, and uh, when we're down there, it was like, yeah, you know, it run a good year. And I'm sitting, I'm like, oh man, markets are just getting like muddled here today. It's it's not a good year end for a lot of people in the investment world. So you know, I you know maybe we you know we hold everything to year end here. We have six weeks left. Uh, I think there's a tons of volatility left here coming up. Hey, the good news is next week is, I know we're going to wrap up here in a second. Next week is the American Thanksgiving week, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though I'm a good Canadian and everything, my whole career has been based on US you know financial markets. And the greatest holiday in the world, in my world, is the American Thanksgiving week. My world, every Thursday, I don't work. Anyone trying to call me next Thursday, forget about it. I'm not going to answer to the phone. You just take the day off and uh get good food and I uh, watch football. That's my uh, Thanksgiving some, day. You know. Yeah, there'll be something going on. Absolutely. And then Friday's a bit lightish, But uh, but again, but it is a serious comment in that uh next week in the investment world, trading will be quite thin. And um, you know, that's when you could have some dramatic moves going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I you know, I I, I had my football pick for last week. I just didn't say it. It worked out very close to what I thought would happen, which was a 49ers win. Uh, this week, it's going to be San Francisco 38 and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have a great logo, by the way. It's a it's a pirate with a hat and everything. It looks cool. Uh, they might score 13 points this weekend, Steve. So 38-13 for the good guys
0: guys never predicted a san fran loss it's an incredible Um, i know you're always undefeated
1: it's awesome
0: confirmation bias for you but uh that's a good that's a good place to end it Uh, as always guys we appreciate your support i would love your comments oh i forgot to mention this actually uh in addition to this we are putting out a uh survey for looney hour listeners Uh, The survey is really just to get a better understanding of who all of our listeners are. It certainly, I'm not going to lie, definitely helps our advertisers when we get asked questions about, hey, who's your audience? What are they doing? Uh, So if you guys don't mind, if you've gotten any sort of value or entertainment out of the show over the last number of, of years, if you could take 30 to 45 seconds to fill out the survey, there'll be a link. Uh, below there'll be a link in the description and you can fill that out and uh the, uh the
1: best the best question though is who's who's your favorite Looney hour guy
0: i think that is in there to be honest so yeah there you go <laughs> uh november 30th live event toronto hope to see you there and uh we'll see you next week